Good morning. I love that picture up there. That young guy with a haircut. My goodness. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful that God gave me a chance to share this message because I needed it. <laughs> um, you know, we just got through celebrating Thanksgiving, right? I mean, praise God that we're in a country that, that values um, the character of being thankful and that we have a day that we can just be reminded of how good we have it. Today, I want to talk about the biblical concept of Thanksgiving because it's not a day, is it? It's a lifestyle. So we're going to be in Philippians 4. It's probably a passage you've never read before. But hopefully you'll see it in a way that will um, be transforming. Because I just think it's so critical for us to internalize what Paul is saying in this message. So we're going to be in Philippians 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In these um, short verses, there's things Paul says that I just, I read them and I go, Really, Paul? I, I, really? I mean, that, that sounds good, but come on. First of them is rejoice always. I go, really, always? I mean, always, really, always? You look it up in the Greek, you know it says always. <laughs> then he says, again, I, I will say rejoice. In case you didn't get it, this is an imperative, not an option. So he's commanding us to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes on and he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, you know, People like me have gentle spirits. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> Those who know me. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Really, Paul? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, this, this passage... I've, I've read it dozens of times. I memorized it. If you are in any kind of a memorization program, this will be what you'll memorize. It's powerful. The challenge is that we can memorize it. We can, internal, we can understand it. We can repeat it back to the Lord. But sometimes it's so hard to have it be transformational. Because really, how do you rejoice always? What does Paul say? Rejoice in what? In the Lord, right? Sometimes I think we miss that part. Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord. Do that all the time. You know why? Because you know who never changes? The Lord. He's always good. He's always faithful. He's always right. He's always true. He's always in charge. He always has a plan that's a good plan. He doesn't change his mind and go, well, I never even thought of that. I'm glad you told me. When we understand what Paul is talking about, it's, it's transformational. Be anxious for nothing. But I go, yeah, that's cool until I get to the first red light. It's like, oh, man. Right? Be anxious for nothing. How can we be a people who are anxious for nothing? That, that's impossible. But Paul, Paul is helping us understand something that is so significant 
He says, if you really understand who your God is, you should never be anxious. Do you get that? You should never be anxious. And he says, but here's what you need to do. Instead of being anxious, pray, talk to God. And then he says, with thanksgiving. Now here's the thing. We feel, touch, see, handle, experience life, right? So what are we thankful for? My family, my friends, the sunshine, the rain, the this. For the stuff we feel, touch, experience, um, live. So we can be thankful, but can you really be anxious for nothing when that's what you're determining to be thankful for? Because cars break down. People get sick. You get in an accident, you lose your job. So how am I supposed to be thankful for that stuff? That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about being thankful because we know who our God is and our God never changes. Our God is always good. Our God is always faithful. Our God is always true. Our God is always righteous. Our God is all powerful. Our God is all knowing. Our God is with us all the time. Our God loved us so much that he actually died for us. Can you trust that guy? then you should be able to be thankful and not be anxious. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, Dave, I know you're going through that. He says, God, this doesn't make sense. I hate it. The, you know, my wife is not um, doing real well. She sends you her love. But sometimes that's no fun. For those of you who don't know my wife, that's chronic pain, 24-7. Been doing it for 15 years. Never goes away. Never gets better. Just gets worse. Well, thanks, Lord. That's really nice. But he's saying, you know what, Dave, I, I know what you don't know. See, I see eternity, you see today. When, when we can know that God is always good, that God is always in control, that God is always faithful, we literally can be anxious for nothing. And we can always come to God and say, God, I don't get this, I don't like this. It's all yours because I can't do it. Thanks, it's yours. And then I can step back and let God be in control of what God's in control of. See, I can control what I can control. I can love my wife. I can bring her food. I can take care of things. I can do a bunch of things that God is calling me to do. But there are things that God is not giving me charge of. And those things, I just come to him and go, thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you're trustworthy, that you're faithful, that you love us beyond all comprehension, and I just give it to you. Now, when I do that, you know what happens? I can have a peace that passes all comprehension because it's not my problem. If it doesn't go the way I think it should go, I just go talk to God about it. <laughs> and, and so I can have a peace knowing that, that things that don't make sense to me things that, that I really don't understand, things that I don't like, I can just give to him and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know what the answers are. I don't know what the solution would be, but here, tell me what I need to do. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, and I'm going to let you handle the rest. This is so powerful that it's transformational if we really can internalize this and realize that it's, it's not our eternity. It's God's eternity. And sometimes the things that we, um, you know, can see, handle, and touch um, don't make sense. But God does. 
know what's going on. God is in charge. God is the one that says, trust me, I got this. Now, now you, you actually, if you want, you can be anxious if you want. You can stress out. You can worry about stuff that you have no control over. You can be miserable. You can be depressed. God still is going to do what he does. So you have a choice. You want to have a peace that passes comprehension or you want to be stressed, worn out, and anxious? I, I don't know. I, I'm beginning to opt for the peace part. I've done the, the stress part. I've done the anxiety. That is absolutely no fun. I mean, it's just, it's pointless. So I go, you know what, why? Let me just have some peace. Let me just give God things that I know he can handle. There's a guy that used to worry all the time. Worried and worried and worried. And finally he goes, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. So he hired a guy to worry for him. <laughs> and he was talking... <laughs> He was talking to his friend. He goes, yeah, I don't worry anymore. He goes, how did you do that? Well, I hired a guy to worry. Really? He goes, yeah, I'm paying him $50,000 a week. He goes, he goes, how can you afford that? You can't afford that. You don't have that kind of money. He goes, that's not my problem. It's his problem. <laughs> it's so freeing, though, when you can let God be God and let him worry, worry about the stuff that, that really isn't our responsibility. And I'll tell you, here's, here's, here's the real truth that we have to internalize, each one of us, is I think we are anxious because we really don't trust God. Right? And, and I think we really don't trust, trust God because we really don't know him that well. See, we go, yeah, I know, God, you're in control, but I, really, this one? I, I, but if we really, truly, and only you can decide how deeply you're trying to get to know God and trust him and understand him and really have him be your God so that you, you can trust him with anything because he's God. Now, I'm not saying that we have financial problems, so I'm just going to sit back on the couch and go, I trust you, God. I mean... He's going to give us some direction of what we need to do to control the things that he's given us to control. But there are things that are out of our control that we need to just take to him with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, going, God, I thank you that you're perfect. I thank you that you're powerful. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you know eternity. And I thank you that you will take this and do whatever is best with it. Because I don't understand what might be best with it. Because I can't see what's going on 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years down the road, or maybe a millennium. I don't know what you're doing. But I can come to you and I can give it to you. When Paul was talking, writing a letter to the, to the Thessalonians, he said this He goes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, and 18. You can write it down or read it later. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's God's will for you. Now here's the challenge, because we don't see eternity, right? We don't know what's going on. God sees eternity, we see today. Maybe yesterday, and maybe we can hope something in the future, but we can't see it. So what happens is we get a setback. 
right? Something happens that we don't anticipate and we have this setback and what we think is a setback is two steps backwards, right? And have you ever said this yourself? One step forward, two steps backwards. One step forward, two. How do you ever get anywhere? This is frustrating, it's discouraging, and I'm so anxious because it just seems like this is a roadblock that I can't get through. And we see it as two steps backwards, stopping us from doing what we wanna do, stopping us from having a life that might be full or fulfilled or meaningful. And you know what God sees when, when, when there's a setback? God sees it as a preparation that moves us two steps forward. Because here's what happens in life, right? We're here, God wants us here. In order for, him to, for us to get from here and for him to take us there, he needs to put us here. And you know what here is? Setback. Because we have to learn, we have to grow, we have to develop. There's things that need to happen in us for us to be able to do what he wants to do through us when, the, when we get here. And we go kicking and screaming, don't we? God says, okay, I got a great plan for you. I'm going to put you here so you can be developed to be prepared to do what I want you to do here. And we go, no, 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 no. Can you just take me here and plot me there? Ready? So I don't know if any of you are athletes. I'm not really an athlete, but I did play basketball. Short, white guy that can't jump. Uh, uh, the, you go figure. But, but when I w- was in college... One of the things our coach was adamant about is that we would be the best conditioned team, period. When we get to the fourth quarter, everybody else, and we're still going. Do you know how you get from the beginning of the season to be in the best conditioned team that plays? It's this, it's this brutal, suicidal thing that coaches have dreamed up called quarter courts. And what you do is you start at the end. Marshall went through it because I think I tortured him a few times in high school. You go to the free throw line, back to the end line, to the midcourt, back to the end line, to the other free free throw line, back to the end line, to the end court, back. Yeah, full sprint. They time us. If you didn't get it under the time, that just adds one more. Those big centers, man, they're so slow. Even a short white guy could do it in the time. But we did that over and over and over and over and over. The only way we could get from here to here was to go through this. God sometimes wants us to do quarter courts so that we can be prepared to be where he wants us to be. And if we can understand that, if we can trust God, if we can know that he's always faithful, that he's always true, that he's always just, that his plan is always right, and then he has a plan for us that's a really good plan and he wants to use us, we can be a people that really can be anxious for nothing. We really can have a peace that passes comprehension. That is unbelievable. If you can just close your eyes and think of what would it be like to have this perfect peace that's beyond comprehension. Because everything that stresses us out, we just give to God and go, it's yours. There's nothing I can do with it, but I'm going to trust you. And I want to illustrate this by, by sharing a way that God has worked that's pre Grace Fellowship. So if you've been to Grace Fellowship and you've gone through like the next steps, you've heard about 
how Grace Fellowship went through some transitions and stuff. Well, I want to I start like before Doug was born. It was in, it was in the early 60s. And um, there, there, was a, there was a guy who um, moved to Southern California. His wife was teaching in Pasadena. They were going to Lake Avenue Congregational Church. Somehow they ended up buying a house in Duarte, and he started teaching at this continuation school called Mount Olive. So he was teaching there, going to Lake Avenue. There was also a, a, a high school student who was going to school at Duarte High School who was going to Lake Avenue. And so I'm either going to call it Lake Avenue or Lake. So if you hear Lake or Lake Avenue, that's Lake Avenue Congregational Church. They ended up going to a men's event. Now, Lake, at that point in time, was probably as big as Doherty School District altogether. Um, they went to a men's event where there was hundreds of guys. This high school kid had gotten a fight with his best friend. <laughs> Broke his arm. Got, got his hands all scratched up because they were at the side of the house and he got into the stucco and stuff. So he goes to this men's event with his hands all scabbed up and stuff. This teacher sees him and starts a conversation because of his hands. They get to know each other, find out that they're both from Dewarty, and this high school kid starts talking to him about, well, can you do something like a Bible study or something? And they decided that they were going to start a Bible study in Dewarty. And so they did. It's like five or six kids came to the first study. John Tott, John Archer, and Jim Shipstead invited. So it was a perfect combination. John was scholarly as far as the word was concerned, and Jim knew everybody in school. And so John would teach, Jim would invite. And they started small, just five or six students. And what ended up happening is Jim knew a lot of guys, John knew a lot about the word, and people started being invited to Bible study. And the Bible study started growing from five or six kids to 30 and 40 kids. Now, I don't know if Jim thought, wow, we're just going to have this massive Bible study. I mean, they had to figure out where to find living rooms big enough. John's wasn't big enough. They started going to different living rooms, moving stuff out of the way. People were coming and starting to lead singing. Stuff that, that they would never have thought was happening. But see, God sees things from an eternal perspective. What we need to do is just do what he tells us to do. Just teach the word. John was teaching um, driver's education to make extra money. Those of you that are like below 60 years old, driver's education actually happened in school. And you could take driving in school to get your permit. It's a class. It's great. So John was doing that. He was getting to know students. And he says the first student that became a Christian based on the Bible study was this girl that was in his driver's edu education class that he was, he was driving with named Margie Holtman. And she had a special place in his heart because she was the first convert. In fact, she has kind of a special place in my heart too, but <laughs> I take no credit for that. It's all John's doing. But you know, um, it just kept growing because people were meeting the Lord. People were coming to this Bible study. There was a girl that came. Her name was Becky Dwyer. She's now Becky Dwyer Elias, but... Uh, you know, I sent out, so those of you guys, I sent out emails to guys going, hey, tell me about what happened at the beginning, because I don't remember. I don't remember where my toothbrush is. I'm not going to remember what happened in 1965. Um, and so they're sending me stuff, and Becky goes, everybody knew about the Bible study. 
I'm sure when, when John and Jim decided to do this, they didn't think that the Bible study was going to be this well-known thing on the Doherty High School campus. And she goes, everybody knew about it. And she goes, I don't even know why I came, but somehow the Holy Spirit prompted me, so I just went. And she goes, I, I went in, and people knew Becky and stuff. She, she's just an amazing person. And... Um, People were looking around going, did you invite her? No, I didn't invite her. Did you invite her? I didn't invite her. <laughs> she goes, they're all whispering, trying to figure out who invited me. Nobody invited me. I just came. Now, one of the things I asked people was, why did, you, why did you come and why did you stay? And they all said the same thing. She said, I stayed because it was home. I thought that was the best way to describe it. Others said the same thing. I just liked the environment. I liked the people. I liked how I felt loved. I liked how how the experience made me feel. And so this thing kept growing. Now what I'm, why I'm telling you this is I, is I want you to understand that God has a big picture because Doherty Fellowship started here. And so this group started to grow and they were taking kids to Lake Avenue on Tuesday night, which was Lake's you know, high school breakaway. They call it breakaway. It was our high school event. So we'd have 20, 30, 40 kids that we would take to Lake now, here's the deal. You had, to, you had to have some very creative people to get this done. So first, what you do is go, how many cars do we have? Then, how many kids do we have? Then, how do we get these kids in these cars? And so that was before the seatbelt days, and so there were six kids in the back seat, you know? And if you ran out of the back seat, you know what? There's always room for small kids in the trunk. No kidding. Marge had a little red um, Ford Ranger pickup truck. She had a camper shell on it. Even back then, she was, a, she was a construction person. She custom built two benches in the back of her camper. She had fit 12, 14, 16 people back there. <laughs> Off to Lake. I won't even tell you how many she put in the back. Uh, Larry probably knows. On the way to the beach one time. <laughs> it's like, no oh boy, boy. So that was the deal, man. And, and, and John just loved kids, had fun with them, went on camping trips, beach trips, Bible studies, went to Calvary Chapel. That was back when Chuck Smith was just starting Calvary Chapel. There was a tent. We were going down there for concerts when Greg Laurie actually had hair, if you, if you know who he is. Um, he turned his garage into a, a study hall. And again, for those younger people, you have to Google this, but he would put up tape cassette players <laughs> in this bench with headphones and, you know, a bunch of Chuck Smith tapes because he taught through the Bible. And so if we wanted to study Philippians, we would just start listening to Philippians 1 and just work through the book, put on our headphones, and there'd be people all sitting next to each other studying the Bible, not hanging out. He just, he instilled in us what the word was all about. Kids would come over to his house. I never appreciated that till my daughters got to high school age and, and the boys started coming over and I'd come downstairs and say, where's the cereal? That was a full box yesterday. Oh yeah, Kyle just put out a mixing bowl and poured it all in there with a gallon of milk and that was, okay. But they did that all the time. And he taught us to do the same thing. He taught us how to love people, how to care for people, how to disciple people, how to pour the word into people, and how to live. Do you think when they started this little Bible study that it would grow into this thing? There's some pictures of some of the stuff that, that used to happen with those guys. They'd just come over to his house. I don't know what that game is. Somebody said it was chess or something, but it's way too educational for me. But the kids would just come over and hang out at his house. What do you want to do? 
Well, we're not going to go get drunk. Let's go to John's and play chess. Next one. He would take them out to the desert all the time. Bike riding, they'd go, they'd go into mines, down into mines. He's take these high school kids. Could you imagine doing that today? <laughs> Woo, baby. So the next one. Of course, sometimes things go wrong and bikes have to repair. And actually, when that guy was fixing his bike, he sat down in a cactus. <laughs> There's cactus in his butt. Next picture. That girl right there was watching them. That's that Margie Holman girl. She'd, she'd ride with those bad boys on her motorcycle. I tell you, she's tough. Next picture, that's probably why she's hurting now. Around Joshua Tree, that's Joan right there and some of the people that went camping. If you knew Frank Cox on the left, he doesn't look like that today, but he had the hair back then. Next picture. Also, I'll talk a little bit about TBCs. They did skits that were crazy. Frank loved to be in Spock. His hair is a little bit different than it was uh, back in that previous picture. Next picture. This is Mike and Marilyn Keat. Those of you know the Keats? Isn't that great? Look at that. That's their wedding picture. We'll talk a little bit more about weddings later on. Next picture. This is, this is, this is just a few years ago. John Archer's the guy uh, next to Carol Johnson, who's Ray Johnson's wife, then Marge, and then Joan, and then my daughter Janelle. They let me take the picture, so I'm not in it. It doesn't ruin the picture. But that was a few years ago. John is still going strong. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, but the thing I want to talk about is, is God knows eternity. God started something from nothing, and he did things that were way bigger than we had ever imagined. Because what ended up happening is it got to the point where how are you going to be hauling 50, 60, 70 kids to lake all the time? It's crazy. So he says, well, why don't we just stay here? And so we started praying about how can we start here and just have our worship service here? And, and this, this building showed up in the middle of Duarte that a bunch of kids and a few adults could buy at a great price. The Lutheran church used to have it there. Their, their church had already closed down. It was just a 1950s building, and they, they gave it to us at a great price. That's what Doherty Fellowship started. It's this building here, except for it wasn't this building here. It was a 1950s building that was just like that wall, that wall, these walls. You stood up there and preached, and if that guy was in the back row, no eye contact. But that was the start of the church. And I'm sure that John and, and Jim had no idea that that would happen when they started a Bible study with five or six kids. So how can we be anxious for nothing? Let God be God. Let God do what God does. Because he's got it. He knows what he's doing. All we need to do is love people and listen to him as he leads us. And the stuff that we don't get, give to him. Because things happen. Things that are potential setbacks happen. John had a friend up in Northern California, called him up and says, look, I'm trying to plant a church and I really need you to help me. John and Joan prayed about it and felt like the Lord was calling them to, to move up north. John was the founder. He was the teacher. He was the, the discipler. He was the church. He was everything. And he, he decides to move up to Northern California. Wow. Huge setback? Not really. Step forward. Because God had been doing some stuff all along to prepare people to move into new roles. We had this youth ministry going on called TBC, Thursday Breakfast Club. All the French toast and sausage you could eat for 25 cents. Now, now even back in the 70s, that's a good deal. 
Now, there's a lot of um, young high school um, girls that were just killing it, trying to cook French toast for everybody. This room right here, and this was the old Doherty Fellowship room, had tables. It turned into a mess hall. There was a stage. There was a bunch of college kids trying to figure out how can we do something more crazy than we did last week. And so there was stuff all over the place. Water everywhere. It just was a mess. The kids loved it. They just kept coming over and over again. I asked them, so what brought you back? He goes, it wasn't the French toast. It, it was the environment. And it just, it exploded. And they started modeling Lake Avenue's youth family and started a youth family where there's a junior high ministry, a senior high ministry, a bunch of college kids discipling and ministering. And so what ended up happening is John leaves and four guys who were in seminary take over. Jim Shipstead, who started with John, was going to seminary now to be a pastor. Ray Johnson, who met the Lord through the ministry, was in seminary, is going to be a pastor. Mark Ayers met, came in in the middle of that. I don't know if he met the Lord or not. The seminary had become a pastor. Uh, Peter Schreck and Carol Schreck were there getting their PhD at Fuller, and they were on the pastoral staff. So four guys, God, at what seemed to be a step backwards, became a big step forward for those four guys. And they started leading the ministry and taking over what John had, had started and built. And they, they continued to grow it. And, and I tell you, when you have a ministry where there's a bunch of collegians, it is exciting because they have a lot of energy. They have a lot of creativity. They're not afraid of anything. They'll do anything. It's fun. And so the, the church just has a lot of energy and ministry and stuff. The downside of having a bunch of collegians in your church, they don't have any money. <laughs> So you have a budget, you're trying to pay salaries, you're trying to pay all the bills and all the expenses, and you have like five or six families that really were key core people when the church started. And it just became a struggle. How do we, how do we actually finance this thing? And so um, decisions had to be made, which, which really, from the pastoral point of view, were setbacks because we had to cut this and cut that, and some of it was cutting salaries, and they volunteered to take pay cuts and all kinds of stuff to keep this ministry going. So again, if we're going to be anxious for nothing, there are times when things like that happen, and you just have to go, yeah, God, you're in charge. We're going to give it to you, and we're going to try to do what makes the most sense to us, but we're going to let you be God in the midst of all that stuff. And so they did. But here's the thing, and I, and I could you know, take the next four hours to talk to you about Doherty Fellowship Church, but, um, but I'm not. I want get to get some key things. Those four guys, Jim Shipstead celebrated his 40th year as a pastor of a church in Anaheim. Mark Ayers is now a missionary in Thailand. Thailand is exploding, partly because John Archer is now 80, went to a pastor with a book about pastoring and about church growth. And he sat down with the pastor. He says, let's read this because this is really good. And the pastor read it. He goes, wow, this is really good. Now, John didn't plan this. God did. He goes, we have a, we have a ministry in Thailand which would be perfect for this. Well, guess who's in Thailand? Mark Ayers. They, they got permission from the author to translate the book into Thai. And they started doing pastor conferences in Thailand. Thousands of pastors going through this, which are impacting hundreds of thousands of people. Think God's a little bigger than us? Do you think we actually can trust him and, and just let, let him be God? 
instead of trying to explain to him why what he's doing isn't working. And Peter and Carol became family counselors. They were getting their PhD and they moved on to family counseling and and have been impacting families for um, decades. So God moved people into successful things. Ray Johnston ended up founding a church up in Northern California. That picture that you saw at the end of John and Marge and Carol and Ray, that was at Ray's church. He does a Thrive Conference for pastors, where pastors come from all over the world to be encouraged, basically, because being a pastor is tough work, and pastors need to be encouraged and strengthened and uh, equipped. So these guys moved on to something that was way beyond what they thought was going to happen when they're standing here sharing to a church of 100 people. Ray's impacting people worldwide. Jim is getting requests from all over the world to do pastor conferences. He's he's the international person. Mark is, is impacting Thailand in a big way, and Peter and Carol are doing great things. And not only that, that small little church that always was somewhere between 30 to 120 probably have another 20 or 25 full-time pastors. Marshall's been a pastor for years, impacting hundreds and thousands of people. People are just growing spiritually because God used something that started out as a Bible study for five or six kids, and God's perspective of what was going on was so much bigger than ours. Can you trust him? Can you believe him for what he's doing? Can you be anxious for nothing and just give it to him and let him be God? See, the church continued to grow. People that are sitting here went through the church at different points. Terry and Larry and Diane and some people were part of Dwight Fellowship. Mike Flannery. Um, as the church grew, I mean, we became more of a church then. More, just more structured and stuff. But we did some crazy things. I mean, I don't know who, all, how of you were here when we decided to put trailers back there. But there was a guy who said, I can get single wide trailers. When you have a bunch of collegians getting married and having kids, you know what the problem is? That little room over there that we have as our Kids Connection room is not big enough. And we're experiencing that even here now. It's just not big enough. So we got single wide trailers that we put at the end of the building out that way. And another one that went across the back. So we had like an office. I didn't get these nice offices. We had the office over there and cut some classrooms and stuff like that. Crazy. Construction, we put siding on and all kinds of crazy stuff. We still did things that allowed us to be family together. We, uh, you know, did camp outs and stuff like that. And I'll get to that. But one of the things that, that we really learned was how to become mature people between what God was doing here and the stuff that we were learning at, at, at Lake Avenue, um, kids would, college kids would grow up and get married. They'd fall in love either with each other or other people. And, and as, as they got married, we learned some foundational things about commitment, about God's word, watching John and Joan model a godly relationship at Lake, there's a guy named Chuck Miller who was one of the best youth pastors in the United States. And he would teach um, love, sex, and marriage things like once a year and talk about what it was like, what men should do as they're dating women and what women should do not to get men too wound up and how they can protect themselves before they get married. In fact, he had a definition of marriage that I can't believe that I still remember. 
he says, or of love. He says, love is an emotional, volitional evaluation of another person's character. How about that one? But I tell you, it's foundational because for, for so many, love is an infatuation, emotional experience, right? And if I love them and they look good and I'm attracted to them, I marry them. And, and Chuck says, no, that's a formula for disaster. Sure, you're gonna be emotionally attached. Sure, you're gonna like them, but there's more to it. It needs to be a volitional evaluation. How does that person relate to the Lord? What's the relationship with Christ like? Is that person solid? Are they growing? Are they mature? Are they in the word? How do they treat their parents? How do they treat other people? How do they treat the opposite sex? What's this person really like apart from my infatuation? And when people evaluate like that, we probably had 30 or 40 people get married and the success rate of those marriages is like 90%. Because they're grounded in biblical principles and they're grounded in understanding what commitment is like and what it means to be committed to the Lord. You think when John started a Bible study, he would know that he'd have that kind of impact on marriages? But God did. God knew what he was doing. It, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's amazing when we see how God works. And then we did other things that will, you know, you know, will always be stuff that Dwarty Fellowship, we did camping trips. We would do family camping trips. We were small, so we didn't go to other, but we'd go to Carpinteria and see how long it took for the train to get, go through our tent. If you've ever camped in Carpinteria, um, it really sounds like it's coming right through your tent. Um, or McGrath. And we would just come. We'd, we'd be on the beach. We'd hang out together. We'd enjoy each other. We'd have a little campfire afterwards and, and do a little teaching and stuff. And, and we'd sing some songs. And there's probably songs that, that those of us that went to McGrath still remember, right? That, and and I'm, I'm going I'm to get it stuck in your brain right now. There's one that we'd always sing that was, went like this. Hi, my name is Joe. And I work in a button factory. I have a wife. Oh, Terry can come up and lead it. And one, yeah, it's like a rap. My boss came to me and said, you busy? I said, no. He said, push this button with your left hand. Yeah, see? You guys would come up and do that. Or there wasn't a lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. So, we, I, mean that, so I just wanted to do that to get it stuck in your head so you'll remember me. The church just kept growing and maturing. And here's the thing that I want, I want you to see, that we were going through at Doherty Fellowship a process. Grace Fellowship was going through a process. As Dwarty Fellowship kept growing and going through things, I mean, 130, 150, I mean, just back and forth as the, as the church grew and matured and tried to figure out what God wanted to have happen. There's probably three or four pastors that, that pastored in between John and um, when the merge happened here. I was one of them. In fact, I was thinking about this and um, I go, man, I pastored for 10 years. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just thinking through the time, I go, I was a horrible pastor. We were all part-time pastors, worked full-time. And, and I, I was talking to Marge, and I go, honey, I mean, I've been thinking about the, you know, the history of our church at, at Doherty Fellowship. And I go, man, I was a horrible pastor. And she goes, you were. I mean, she didn't even blink. <laughs> 
I go, I go at, least, at least pause. She goes, yeah, you were. And people would come up and tell me. I go, okay. Well, that's confirmation. But you know what? God is bigger than that. He's bigger than that. He takes imperfect people and he uses them for his glory. And as the church was going through this transition of trying to figure out, and if you've been through next steps, you kind of know that the story of Grace Fellowship and their transition of going from Roland Heights and figuring out where to land. And at the same time, Doherty Fellowship was here that had gone through some different pastors. And I'm thinking, would it make sense if we found a church that needed a building that we could come together and between the two of us really have a solid ministry? And, and it just so happened that God was in control back in 1969, knowing that Grace Fellowship was going to start when it was going to start, and somehow those two were going to come together. Now, what are the odds of, of Miguel talking to a pastor as Doug was walking by the conversation and hearing Miguel said, you know any church that needs a building? And Doug just happened to be at a church that needed a building. I mean, coincidence, really? No, it's just not. And so when we can understand that God is not a God of coincidences, he's an intentional God, and he does things on purpose. And so Jim Harvey, if you're younger, Google this one too. He says, and that is the rest of the story. See, that's, that's the rest of the story. You know the next step story, now you know the rest of the story. This thing started as a Bible study with five or six kids. And this is what God is doing. And who knows what God is going to do 30, 40, 50 years from now. I mean, it could be crazy. Like maybe Garrett might even pastor. I mean, who knows? You know, it's like. <laughs> Here's what I know. I know that we're to be a people who rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And that if we are a people who know that God is in control and that God is God, we literally can be anxious for nothing. We can take everything and just give it to him and say, God, it's yours. I'm going to trust you to take this and do what is best eternally. And then we can have a peace that passes comprehension if we'll do that. We just have to do it. We have to understand it, internalize it, and do it. And when we do, God's going to do what God does. And you cannot do it, and God is going to do what God does. <laughs> so you have a choice. You can be anxious, and God will do it, or you can be at peace, and God will do it. I don't know. I just like the peace option better. And that's my heart, is that, that that's something that will become a reality in my life more and more and more, and hopefully a re reality in your life. Because God is not done with um, this ministry. And God has people that he's going to continue to develop, and he's going to continue to use, and he's going to impact the world the way he wants to do it. And he really doesn't need our advice. But he does want us to come and listen and follow and obey. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for being our God. And Lord, thanks that truly you, you, you're in control. You are the God of the universe. You're the God of all creation. You're all-knowing, all-powerful. All, you're always good.
And Lord, as we trust you and just let you be God, we will have a peace that we've never thought is possible. Do that in each one of our hearts, Lord, in a powerful way. And we will be servants following you as you lead us, walking in obedience with thanksgiving and to your glory. And everybody said, amen. Amen.